I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We are working through 2 Corinthians in a series we've entitled Resilience. And as we've said before, as Christians, we are a part of a faith that is now over 2,000 years old and our roots uh, before Christ came uh, in the family of God and the people of Israel, it's even older than that. Uh, And so one of the questions in inheriting an ancient faith is how do we continue to stay relevant to contemporary questions that are going on in our day? How do we be faithful in this day and age to address challenges and questions that present themselves that weren't even questions 100 years ago or 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago. And so it's important that we continue to be relevant to what it is that we are going through and the people around us. But relevant is the only thing we want to be because if we're only relevant, it's kind of like looking back on a picture of yourself 20 years ago and being like, what was I wearing back then? (laughs) And every one of us does that because there are certain things that just change and with a bit of distance, we can look back and say, I'm not sure that ever should have been popular. I don't know how everyone thought that was a good idea at one point in time. And if we look back on our own faithful convictions 20, 30 years ago and 100 years ago and say, I'm not not sure anyone should have ever uh, believed in that, then relevant in one generation will make us outdated in the next. And so we want to be relevant, but we also want to be resilient. We want to have a, a core conviction of our faith that is classic, is enduring, that makes sense to people from every tribe, tongue, and nation for whatever it is that they're presented with in the moment. And Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians. It's the second letter that we have, but it's not the second letter that he's written. He's committed them as a group of people who are in a community that is completely hostile to the Christian faith. Um, Nothing in Corinth reflects Christian ideals. Nothing about the government, nothing about the social structure encourages people to be Christians. And it's not just that it doesn't encourage them. It's not even neutral. It's, It's hostile toward anyone who would assemble together as brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so Paul knows that it's difficult to be believers in this context. And so he as a leader is resilient to continue to communicate with them and to write to them, to encourage them to hold on to the things that they have believed. Uh, So it's advertised or it's up there starting in chapter five, verse one. But if you'll indulge me, I'd like to start in verse seven of chapter four, and then we'll read all the way through the end of chapter five. So second Corinthians chapter four, beginning in verse seven, and then through the end of chapter five. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence." For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. 
so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that'll conclude our reading for this morning. I wanted to start a little bit back in chapter four because we're going through 2 Corinthians every other chapter, but we're trying to keep in mind the whole of what Paul has written just like we would any other letter that we have read. But there in chapter 4, you see this description. First, he says that we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure is the gospel, this amazing truth that we know in the gospel. But we hold this truth in his description of our humanity in jars of clay. So this amazing, shiny, precious metal that we inherit. We inherit it and receive it as people that are ordinary, earthen vessels. And then he goes on to describe what is part of the ordinary human experience in this world. We are afflicted in every way, perplexed, persecuted, struck down. 
isn't the most encouraging way to necessarily describe the ordinary human experience unless you're going through it and you're wondering if you're alone. Because if you're going through it and you're wondering if you're the only one going through it, then you're wondering, what am I doing wrong that this describes my life? And Paul is writing this as a general letter to a group of people. And he can describe his life in this way and others. Uh, Last week, I was uh, reprimanding my middle child for something he was doing wrong. And as I'm lecturing him on why it's wrong, his older brother says, Dad, that's just how life goes sometimes. I was like, what do you mean that's how life goes? Sometimes we're good, sometimes we're bad. That's just how life goes. I said, really? That's true. And we teach them how Jesus loves us when we're good and when we do the things we should. And Jesus loves us when we're bad, even though it makes him very sad. Yes, Jesus loves me. We teach him that. But I needed to be reminded in that moment when I was... Uh, reprimanding my son for basically being a human being. That, that is oftentimes how life goes. And so Paul is describing this reality of what he's experienced, but he doesn't end there. He describes it all to eventually say, and so we do not lose heart collectively. We're all perplexed, persecuted, struck down, but together we need to, we need to be honest about it so that we don't lose heart. And what he's calling to them is a, is a resilience in the midst of all of these trials. And so it's not the only way he describes the human experience. He says, afflicted but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken. The way he ends it is a fascinating description in verse 17 of chapter four. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Like, how could you write a public letter and describe all of these bad things that happen as light, momentary affliction? You know, if you're in the audience, you'd raise your hand and be like, Paul, you call this light? (laughs) You call this momentary? You know how insensitive that can sound? And then the description though, of the future, of this eternal weight of glory that will come to us. I find helpful. I was in a a, a room, I was a part of a workshop in Kansas City the last uh, Wednesday through Friday of this week, uh, which somehow the way life works, it's the first time I traveled since we've been back on sabbatical, and I had to fly on Wednesday, and so all three of my boys had a fever of 102 on Tuesday, and they all got the flu, uh, which was one of those how do you, like they've been healthy all winter long. <laughs> we, have, we, have, we have somehow felt spared all winter long. And the first time I had to go somewhere, uh, they all got sick. Um, but I was in a, a room of basically representatives from 10 different churches from all over the country. And on Friday morning, a lady named Rebecca uh, just led the devotional and she started in Lamentations chapter three, which it's in the middle of Lamentations chapter three that we read about how great is God's faithfulness and his mercies are new every morning. But very intentionally, she didn't start at verse 22 of Lamentations chapter 3. She started in verse 1 of Lamentations chapter 3. And it's almost the opposite of Psalm 23. If you read them side by side. Psalm 23, you're my shepherd. You lead me beside still waters. You restore my soul. You do this and that. And Lamentations chapter 3 is, you've led me into darkness. You've crushed my spirit. 
this I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through. And in fact, that's actually the tone of most of Lamentations. That's why it's called Lamentations. That's why Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. But as she led the devotional, she then opened up the opportunity for anyone who felt like they were, they had a weight if they wanted to, since most of us gather together, don't really know each other and don't know what scenarios might be unfolded to reveal any confidences to share things with one another. And whenever you're in an environment like that, so it's a smaller group, but you know, the, the first person has to take a risk and say, I'll, I'll share something I'm going through. And then the next person shares something they're going through. And if you've ever been in that moment, even if you've just been one-on-one with someone, but when you have the sense that someone is about to tell you something that very few people know, and they feel safe to say out loud what they think, there is a weight that you feel no one move right now. Don't cough. Don't, like it just, you feel this sense of be locked in and be listening because I don't know that they've ever said this before. And you feel the weight of that. And I felt it in that room on Friday. When you feel that, it's an amazing experience when you then connect to someone and say, I don't know why or how, but this was something that we just shared together that now if we never see each other again, I will feel connected to you for the rest of my life (laughs) in ways that are uh, unique and profound. But the day before, uh, in a presentation that we had received that kind of led the conversation, there was a few insights shared by a professor at Covenant College, Dr. Elisa Weichbrot, who I'd never heard of before, but the quote is on the back of your handout that once I read it, I just couldn't get it out of my head. She wrote, the more sad things we know, the bigger Jesus must be to undo them. This is her basically reflecting on 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 5. If everything we go through in this life, Paul in some way can describe as light and momentary affliction when it's the exact opposite of how we experience it because it is heavy and it's persistent and it feels unending. But he looks into eternity and says, but the weight of glory that will come upon all of us in that moment will make the weight we now feel in all the stuff we're going through light and momentary. It's this invitation to not deny or minimize anything of what we're going through. It's not to go to someone and say, life really isn't that bad. No, 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 it is. (laughs) So tell me about it. Tell me the things you're afraid to say out loud because you're afraid of what people might think if they hear you say it out loud. Tell me. Because if you believe in the future of what God promises us in eternity and the future glory and beauty that all of us will experience, then everything that we suffer in this life is something that we can lay before our Heavenly Father and say, you've made a promise that one day this will feel like light and momentary affliction. And the weight that I feel that I can't get under, you have said, another weight is coming of beauty, of glory, of wholeness that will make me look back on this in a way that I just can't experience it right now. 
And so the quote, the more sad things we know and can be honest about, the bigger Jesus has to become in our lives if he's going to keep the promise that he made to undo them. And so Paul is saying, it is real affliction. He's not minimizing anything that he's gone through in his life. He can sit alongside anybody, and he hasn't gone through everything, but he's earned his card on, in, in the school of humanity to say, I know what hurts. I know what it's like when people leave you. I know what it's like when friends don't understand you, when family rejects you. I know what it's like to be misunderstood and persecuted. I know what it's like to feel alone. But I'm saying to you, in all of these things, I have met this Savior who has promised, as he's given us the light of the gospel and what he was willing to go through on the cross for us, he promises us that in the future, there is an increasing expectation that he will give us a weight of glory and beauty that none of us could imagine if we even right now tried to think about it. There, there are better days ahead that the good news that he offers us is better than the bad news of what we experience in this world. And that means it has to be really, really good news. It has to be the best news ever if it's going to outweigh the weight of what we experience in this life. But when we know that, when we really come to believe that, we say with him, we are afflicted, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Forsaken, but not, persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And so he says, when we know that, that we still have before us all that God has promised us in eternity with him, verse 16 so we do not lose heart. Because if we don't have that expectation in front of us, that the one who died on the cross for us and rose again will keep the promise that he made to come again and to undo the wrong that has been done, to give to us new experiences that will outweigh the things that we have gone through, then we will lose heart. But he's inviting the whole congregation along with him to a resilient life that says, do not lose heart, which is not be happy all the time. <laughs> Deny what you're going through. But take God at his word. Believe what he has said. This is not the end. And how big does God have to be for that to be true? Massive. Eternal transcendent, sovereign. All of those things have to be true about him for this promise to be believed by us. So then in chapter five, he goes on to talk about how we're all in this earthly dwelling and we're, it would be better if we could be with the Lord, but he has us here for a reason. It's not, though there are things yet to be fulfilled, the truth of the gospel is supposed to transform us in ways now that surprise people who know us and who know what we've gone through, that we would then be people who could be described as always of good courage. That's verse six of chapter five. So we, are, we do not lose heart and we are always of good courage. Sometimes we can have the wrong thought about courage that the person who's courageous is the person who doesn't have any fear or anxiety. It's simply not true. The person who has courage, 
who has fear and anxiety just like everyone else, but it doesn't shut them down. They, they move forward in what they know and believe to be right and true, even though they're freaked out. <laughs> if you weren't freaked out, you have no reason to have courage. <laughs> if you go into a situation with this, I know what's going to happen here. I know how everything's going to unfold. I just have to do my part. Okay, but you don't need any courage to do that. <laughs> you need courage when you walk into a situation that you say, I have no idea how this is going to go. I'm pretty sure at least two people really don't like me. And I'm really hoping that this goes well in spite of all of that. What do you need then? You need some courage. You need someone to say, okay, so how can I support you? How can I get you in all of that fear and anxiety to not run away or back away, but to continue to press forward with courage, believing that you are here for a reason, that God is with you here in the midst of all that you're going through. And because of what Christ did for us on the cross, he gives us the resources in following after him to have courage in our day and age. But we all need it. You're not, there's not something wrong with you if you're afraid about living the ordinary human life or even the Christian life. It doesn't mean you don't have faith doesn't mean you don't believe in God. It does mean you're a human being and what you and I need on a continual basis is resources from God in order to follow him, to not lose heart, to continue to have courage. And especially because part of that courage is gonna be that we embrace this role and responsibility to reconcile with others. to reconcile even with sometimes the people that have, have been the reason we're going through what we're going through. What do you need for that? You need courage. You need to not lose heart. If part of the spaces you're gonna enter into when you feel like you have a sp safe space and you can share your thoughts are often gonna include the ways people have hurt you and harmed you that you didn't realize were still affecting you, but with your faith in God and your desire to see no one, um, no one else continuing to repeat the cycle of pain that you've experienced, part of your desire in those moments will be for reconciliation. And you'll need courage to do that. What Paul says is, we persuade others as ambassadors for Christ. So those are two different phrases in chapter five that I just put together, but he says, just like we don't lose heart and we're always of good courage, he says we persuade others and we are ambassadors for Christ. So Paul gets that this is not something you can ever force another human being to do. So he's not threatening anyone into this. Paul, before Christ, was willing to threaten all kinds of ways. When he saw Christians getting together, he was happy to knock the doors down and say, you can't do this. You can't worship in this way. Paul converted to Christ as he's proclaiming this message recognizes he can only work with terms of persuasion. You can't force another person to love someone. You can't force another person to forgive someone. You can't force another person to live this out. The only thing you can do is work with persuasion. That they see someone else doing it, that they see Christ doing it, and they say, I want to do that too. I internally want to live that kind of life. I want to have the sort of strength that it would require to be able to do that. 
if you have, still haven't seen her full testimony, the, the best example for me in this past year was a lady named Rachel Denhollander, who was the first person to come out publicly and accuse a medical doctor at Michigan State University uh, for sexual abuse, that after she then came out and was willing to testify publicly, over a hundred other people came out to testify in it. And if you've never listened to the testimony that she gave in the courtroom, because as part of the sentencing hearing, every one of the victims, if they chose to, was allowed to speak directly uh, to now the accused and the guilty. It's just, you won't find a better example of someone being completely honest about the, the real ramifications of sin, the pain that it causes. And by faith in Christ, the desire to extend in whatever ways someone could be open to it, mercy. You won't, if anyone can think of another example to show me that I can recommend, I, I gladly do it. But as I watch the video, I don't have girls, I have three boys. Um, but there was just a part of me that was so heartbroken in listening to it, but said, man, if I ever have a girl one day, I want her to be this strong. <laughs> This is a strength I'll never know. By definition, I could never be this strong. But this is amazing. And as, as much as I'd love to say, I just wish this never happened. <laughs> um, if it happens in this world, we need more people in this world who can find ways in themselves to not allow the pain that other people causes them to lead them to despair, to lead them to stay struck down, but they find the way to get back up. They find strength that they never knew they had, and they lead each and every one of us in their pursuit of Christ to say, this is what it's like to live free in Christ and love people generously, even if they don't have a reason to be loved. When you see someone else do it, you're either persuaded by it or you're not. <laughs> you're either respecting of it and saying, that is so commendable, it is what I desire, or you're saying, no, I don't, it isn't what I want. And if it's not what you want, it's fine, but no one else can make you want it. The church can't do anything to coerce it or to force it. No other human being can make another human being do it. But it is possible if we see the example of our Savior in his love, that if we're attracted to him and what he's done, that we would desire it, to be like him. And so to be ambassadors of him in our current day, that we are here for a reason, for a time and space, but to recognize while we are here, we're representing someone bigger than us, someone better than us, and we want to represent and be like him in this context that we're in. When we think of him as our model, it gives us the ability to both be relevant to the challenges that are in front of us and resilient to love people through whatever it is that we might encounter. But the way forward for the world is not for, for Christians to offer, here's just a way of living that if you just get this right, everything will be better but to offer to the world a group of people who are willing to step in to honestly assess sin for what it really is, 
and to say we're trying to learn about what it means to mend the world, to heal it, to bring it back together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can read a letter 2,000 years old and see that someone who's not lost heart to read the letter of someone who maintained courage in everything that he faced to see someone working to persuade other people as an ambassador for you and we are humbled by it we want to be faithful in our own day we want to be relevant to the questions that confront us as a society but we know that what we still need most are living ambassadors for you we need men and women committed to a ministry of reconciliation we need a system of support that gives courage to one another so that we do not lose heart for whatever is in front of us Father, help us to trust and believe that the more sad things that we know require you not to be diminished in our lives, but to grow bigger, to become more glorious and more powerful, more beautiful than we ever could have imagined. But we can't do this on our own. This strength does not come from us. And so we pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would richly impart it to us. In Jesus' name, amen.